0: Take off on the ride of your life with the best of the best. We're going to have a good time. Two hours of pure pow, says People Magazine. Goodness great fire! Deject! Deject! Tom Cruise. Just want to serve my country be the best fighter pilot in Navy. Sir! Yeehaw! Top Gun. Rated PG.
1: Now playing Man National, Westwood Man Chinese, Hollywood, and a theater drive near you.
2: from watching the f-14s he he went down there a while ago uh you know
1: last time i saw him he's, he's just uh dumping the water from the buckets so i think he'll he'll be right back he'll okay be right so in. he'll
2: be he'll be up in a minute great yeah okay. yeah that's well, right you know uh, i he'll just have to catch up welcome to an all-new episode of reconsinimation i'm john diner oh and i'm david munchak i'm back and, and i'm brent hutchins And this is the podcast that takes a look back at some of our favorite films from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. And with the release of the long-awaited sequel, we thought there couldn't have been a better time to look back at one of the biggest films of the 1980s. That's right. It's Top Gun. Top Gun. (laughs) Top Gun. Long time coming, uh, you know, talking about it on, on the show here, and... And in fact, we we our last episode, Friday the Thirteenth Part Six, Jason Lives, was also and came out in 1986. So we're staying in that year. I feel like we've hit a bunch from that year, but but happy to stay in '86. Mm-hmm. And not only that, Tom Cruise, one of the biggest but polarized, most polarizing stars uh, of all time, really. This is only his second appearance on the show. We covered him back in. Uh, earlier this year, when we looked at back at the color of money, when we uh, covered Newman New Year for honoring Paul Newman. So, is this
1: really, this
2: is only his second time in the podcast, and that was second. the first? Yeah, yep. That's crazy to think about a little bit, just
1: considering how many movies he has been in from in our in our wheelhouse
2: yeah there's there's so many cruise movies we just haven't gotten to him. It was kind of like Arnold like we hit Predator early on, but we never really kind of never came back to him till last summer, so you know trying to work some of these guys in yeah but there's a ton, think, there's a ton of Tom
1: Cruise movies I think we might have to do a cruise a cruise month cruising into the summer
2: at some point <laughs> cruising into the summer. That's right. We're, right. we're right around Memorial Day, so right now we are cru- we're already cruising into the summer. So here we go,
1: <laughs> kicking it uh, off right.
2: That's right. That's right. All right. So Top Gun, huge movie, and with Top Gun Maverick coming out, which is also going to be uh, a huge movie as it's coming out in just a few days when this drops. Uh, what's what's when was the first time you guys saw Top Gun, or do you remember? Did you hear about it? Were your friends talking about it before you saw it? Did you catch it on video in the theater? What's uh, what what say you? Brent, when 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 did you first see it? Uh I certainly saw it in the theater. I don't know that any of my friends were necessarily talking about it that
1: led me to to go see it, but but uh but I I'm pretty positive everybody was talking about it pretty soon after it released. So If it wasn't for the movie and everybody going to see that, it was certainly the soundtrack that was getting Bananas radio play uh, with all the different music that was coming out. So, I mean, it was summer of 86 was the summer of Top Gun and it was everywhere. Like, I remember the posters being everywhere, billboards, the music.
0: I mean, it was it was certainly the thing to to see around that time. I you know I, I don't remember I remember it just kind of always existed and it was a like a big thing and it was really it was a big thing but I don't think it was a movie I was necessarily excited about or something like that I was still not quite getting into. You know, I don't know. There was something about this one. Maybe the military aspect, the planes, like the loud planes. Planes are loud. Oh, I don't want to watch this. I, I don't know. But it, it was something I probably soon saw soon on video um, and HBO and all that. So it was just like, I just remember it always being around. Like, I can't tell you the first time I saw it or any of those
2: circumstances. It was that you guys are right, though. It was. It had a massive presence, especially for being the age we were at uh, in 1986 and 87. It, was, it just felt like that movie was, whether it was MTV or HBO or the video store or commercials or even the theater itself, it was just constantly somewhere almost in your eyeline or within earshot. There was something about it everywhere. And that's, I mean, I guess shows that the power of marketing you know at its at its maybe at its peak in the 80s that you know and we'll talk about down the you know how this really turned a corner for hollywood moving away from the films of the 70s and to what action movies really would become this kind of set a blueprint um i remember i remember really i did not see it in the theater uh the first i really remember was was seeing it on video and riding bikes in my neighborhood with my friend, Chris Valeno, and we would, riding our Huffies, you know, down the big hill. One of us was Maverick, the other one was Iceman, and we're like, (laughs) just like pedaling for our lives. I remember it coming out on VHS, and it was like, I think it was like the first reasonably priced VHS, because at the time, I think it came out towards the end of 86 on home video last year's top movie is coming to your vcr top gun buy it for the unbelievable price of 26.95 tom cruise in the video cassette premiere of top gun from paramount your vhs was like new in 80 85 86 it was Betamax, and really it was just movies got re-released in the theaters and when they came out on video films were like 60 70 dollars oh yeah i
1: remember when we bought like i mean one of the first movies i remember us ever buying was i remember being at the video store when my dad bought his first vcr and star wars and it was not a cheap
2: purchase
0: at all you know wow
2: yeah but this one top gun was was 26.95 so suddenly it was like oh now these are affordable and then the that You know, triggered the really the wave of VHS that would follow all the way through to the late '90s, and when uh, DVD came in. But that'd be like sixty bucks today. (laughs) Yeah, right.
0: (laughs) You said twenty six ninety five or something. Yeah,
2: yeah. That'd be. I mean, it's it it's still it's still a lot. I mean, uh, when when I worked in the at Suncoast in the video store. I think it was twenty. It was nineteen ninety five by that point, so it had dropped a few more. But and that was like the standard price. Yeah, the standard retail VHS was nineteen ninety five. You had your 999s, yeah. your 1495s, yeah. nineteen ninety five, and then twenty four ninety five was like the double tape. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> you remember the those? For,
1: the Forrest Gump release?
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, was the the Godfather? Was that on two VHS? Oh yeah, one, oh, yeah. two, and three. Oh my. Ten Commandments. You, There's a whole bunch of them. You get the whole six disc, six VHS set, the Godfather trilogy. Yeah. And it only <laughs> took up an entire shelf <laughs> Yep, for three movies. <laughs>
1: Display your proud collection of one movie.
2: <laughs> um, I I have always gone back and forth on Top Gun, though. I, I started out loving it as a kid. Then it kind of just disappeared from my my mind for a while. And then when I started working at Suncoast and really started absorbing cinema again, I, I re-reapproached it in like nine, I guess it was '96, and uh, this is sort of after the whole Tarantino thoughts on the movie kind of bubbling up and looking at it from a different perspective, and and then through college and and after that, I really like I really disliked it. I just thought it was just so much, just over the top, ridiculous silly, um, you know, not much of a plot, What what we'll get into and then coming around now watching it, I like could find myself just find being like the kid again and just kind of trying to look past the, uh, the, the Navy commercial that the movie is and just, sure. just kind of like having fun with it again. And, yeah. uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll come back to, to Maverick towards the end of the show. But so I'm I've been really back and forth on this one. I I got so frustrated with it. I injected it from my collection at one point and wow. then now it's back. Now was the-
1: that is that because you didn't like the movie or was that more like
2: backlash for Bruckheimer?
1: Because uh, honestly, like-
2: it was it was probably backlash for Cruise cuz I remember especially okay. after the whole like War of the Worlds thing and the you know the the all the the Scientology and the jumping off the sure. couch stuff and the, the Katie Holmes like craziness that was going on. It was I was like, you know what? I'm just I'm done with that movie and I, I don't ever need to watch it again.
1: Okay, got it. Because I feel like I had a little blip in my life where I didn't think this movie was rad, and it was more a Bruckheimer backlash than mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. than anything else. Just because I was like, oh my god, Con Air, like this guy's that. A little- Everything, yeah. <laughs> him and Michael Bay. I'm just like, Bloor. yeah, you know, like I, not. I mean, I can go back and rewatch some of his stuff now, and I'm like, oh man, this is fun, this is great. Mm-hmm. But there was a moment where everything they were pumping out after Armageddon, and I was just like, oh god, I can't even stomach any more of it. Like we gotta, I gotta get it out. But totally. that was solely yep. like the Bruckheimer Productions thing, and not to speak poorly to Bruckheimer, but it was just like there was so much. And there was such a look and it was all so over the top.
2: Well, there was there was a particular movie. Yeah, there's a particular movie that Bruckheimer was producing, you know, especially in the late 90s into the early 2000s. And it was a little bit of sort of rinse and repeat.
1: Yeah. And And I loved them all until I didn't. And then when I didn't love them, I was like, I can't even like you're gone in 60 seconds. (laughs) Take your take your Armageddon's. Take your take your Conairs and you can g-
2: get out of here. <laughs> Just take a hike, pal. The only one I've really come back to is The Rock. That I've I've never fallen out of love with The Rock. Yeah, I love but the others. Rock. I'm I'm still kind of like, yeah, I'm okay not watching those again.
1: Yeah, there's there's too many elements of The Rock that, that keep it keep it perched pretty high. Sean Connery, Michael Bean, Michael Bean. Know, right, that's all Alcat- you have to say. Alcatraz,
2: like, come on. <laughs> um but you know in talking about this it just this movie really got me thinking about how difficult it can be to kind of separate how much you loved a movie as a kid and then seeing it what we're doing on this podcast is we're looking at these movies through our adult eyes and do we still feel about it the same way or not and it's kind of tough it's you know we just grew up like loving a movie like this for so long and then s- seeing it, learning things about it, learning, you know, the invo- how it was made and, and some of the the real reasons this movie got made. It's like mm, that sours it a lot. But can mm-hmm. you still kind of hang on to that fondness? And that's that's really just a personal thing, whether you can or not, or whether you want to or not. You know, at where I am right now, I can still It depends what hat I'm wearing. You know, if I want to just put the entertainment hat on, I can totally enjoy this movie. But if that hat isn't on, this movie drives me crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, you know, it probably mirrors, you know, or reflects kind of like where you are in the the journey of, of your life, right? As a kid, like, you know, America's great. America's the best. Like, it's, you know, especially growing up in the 80s where it's like, It was all very gung ho, like we were, G.I. Joe was the cartoon everybody was watching. You know, I mean, it was like very much this is a thing. And then as you get a little bit older, you realize, oh, war and government and politics and things like, man, this is sometimes not, sometimes we're involved in things that we probably shouldn't be involved in and we don't feel really good about it, you know, And, and things are happening and you're like, well, I don't know that I necessarily support that, right? And you speak up about it and you, you know, you have opinions about it. And then, you know, like you don't know what to do about it. You know, you kind of are living through it. You, you take it out on certain people at certain times and you're like, man, that's not right. And then you start talking to people in the military and you realize, Hey man, these dudes are just doing their job. They're out there doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're protecting us. And as you get older, you appreciate some of that as well. And like, for me, at least this is my journey in it is like. This movie's gone full circle with me just based on that alone is like, oh man, I grew up 80s America. This movie is like, I don't know if there is a more quintessential 80s movie on the planet than Top Gun. And so, like, I was a huge fan, and then similar to you, John, like went out to college, like kind of learned some things, started thinking more for myself and less, started thinking more on my own and less about like just following what was fed to me. And so asking more questions and realizing that a lot of this stuff wasn't right. And so like when you see a movie that is very much like a propaganda film for the Navy, you're like, hmm, how do I really feel about it? And then you grow up enough to be like, well, that's okay. Like that thing can exist too. And I can appreciate it for what it is and appreciate the good time that it is. And then you just kind of like, okay, for me, I let it go. I'm back in. Watched it for this podcast. Totally loved it. For all that it is. Like, and and like not, you know, like it's it is very hoorah, but it is like a shit ton of fun.
2: Yeah, I don't I don't disagree with you at all. Like, I think you just completely nailed it. David, what are what are your thoughts on it? Well, like the way you guys are
0: talking it reminds me of there's this uh there's a website it's 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 the onion but it's essentially for women's media it's called Reductress. okay Okay. and there's a there's a headline that says um is uh an investigation is that movie really awesome or did you see it when you were eight (laughs) (laughs) it's a good
1: way to look at it
0: yeah. and then you read the article and it's it's a little bit more of how like how awesome a kids movie is like that it's more about the adult like saying oh my god I love you know whatever kung Fu panda or something that's the greatest movie and then you're but so but that it does apply sort of general to pop culture sure and, and the things we like when we like them right yeah um, <clears throat> That's you know, like The that, Goonies.
2: The that, that Goonies is a big one. That that right. And, and it, I I still think it is a really excellent film, one of my personal favorites. But like meeting people, you know, seeing it as a kid and loving it is one thing. But I, I know a lot of people who didn't see it till they were adult and just did not get it, it at all. That. And it, it doesn't yeah, work. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, go ahead, David.
0: But yeah, so I mean, like I, I I'm not one that would have said I loved Top Gun like ever. I don't know if I ever loved it. I think it was, you know, I, I, it it was as a kid. I was like, it's fine. Like I thought the the plane, all the plane stuff was really cool. But I was so tragically bored by the rest of the fucking movie, like, and I didn't know why because it's like there's nothing there. There's no there's nothing there. The love story's terrible. The dialogue's terrible like the yeah the the rivalry is like unfounded in a sense but it, it it works but it's like i either wanted them to go I, I think i watching it now i'm like oh they could have gone a lot farther with it but they still have a, a grudging respect for each other but they you know they it, it could have been i don't know so it, it could have been a lot of different things so i don't know that i was never like in love with the movie i thought it, i thought it was cool i mean um but then yeah then yeah getting older like realizing like what it really is and all that i probably just hadn't seen it i hadn't seen it then for a long time and then yeah i don't know i don't think i've actually sat down and watched it beginning to end and since i was a kid but then um watching it for the the podcast you know i i enjoyed it i i enjoyed the action parts i kind of i was still kind of bored like for the most part but Uh, for the rest of the movie but it's not like it was bad or anything it was it was it was more than made up for in the how everything was shot and it was it's a gorgeous film so Mm -hmm. um yeah so i I enjoyed it i enjoyed it quite a bit i I know exactly what it is
2: so it's it really is this mixture of like it's such an incredible technical achievement Mm -hmm. that you know honestly love him or hate him that Tom Cruise would continue to do, especially in the last, what, 15 years that, you know, he keeps with the mission impossible movies and with Maverick, like really ratcheting up the, you know, how these movies are made and the intensity level and, and the practicality of it. And, you know, you have to respect what they did technically with the planes and the way they shot them and using real planes. And, and, you know, at the same time it's, it's frustrating, the, the propaganda aspect of it, because it's so glaring, even watching it this time, it was just like, oh, my God, like it, they're just shoving it down your throat, like everywhere you turn. And then also not having that, you know, that, that depth. I mean, the story is so surface level, really, like the, the love story, the rivalry, like it's very kind of plain and <laughs> pretty predictable, But, um, but still, you know, enjoyable at the same time. (laughs) It's such a mix, this movie. But let's talk about, let's talk about the propaganda stuff, because that's, you know, well, let's first and foremost in my mind, when I think of Top Gun, I mean, this is a Top Gun is a commercial for the Navy. The Navy financially supported the movie, which is documented. And they, put they recruiting
1: they, booths up outside the the movie yeah. theaters when when it was playing
2: for sure. Yeah, I mean they, they supplied the the ships, the planes, the the aircraft carriers, all of that. Full support of the movie. They they approved the script. So I mean this was completely under their. You know they weren't making the movie, but they had a, you know they were the support system for it and were the approval process for it. But yeah, I mean they they set up booths in the back of the theater or like right outside the theater doors. Yeah. So people coming out who were totally jazzed up that, Oh my God, the military is a Like that seems like so much, like totally, you know, you're risking your life, but so much fun. So right. recruitment went and up worked, 500%. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. 500%. 500.
1: Man, that's insane. 500%.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a lot. It's uh, it's crazy, but this is what was happening in the, in the Reagan 80s, really, especially for kids, like we were getting hit, you know, weekday afternoons with G.I. Joe, which I loved to <laughs> love yeah. G.I. Joe. But you're getting hit with, you know, like, oh, look, you know, look how awesome these military guys are. And then you get a movie like Top Gun that comes out that is just really pounds at home. And then that's also for teenagers that are easily influenced. And on that point of where they're going to they're making decisions for their lives so you know it's really it's i remember when i saw the simpsons movie when that came out in what was that like 07 08. and you know the theater was packed with kids whether they should be there or not for a simpsons movie they were there and all of the commercials like prior to the movie starting were all navy army marines it was all there. military like
0: uh-huh. Uh-huh.
2: and it just feels so dirty to me to do that to like that just seems like such a sneaky tactic but that's what that, that's really what the foundation of this movie is and that's that's the part i don't love about it you know and and it's still no matter how much i can i can watch it and and, and enjoy it for the entertainment side of it like that that still exists and that's still there yeah so that's for me that's i have a tough time with that
1: I get it. But like at the time, like recruitment in the military was dropping tremendously, you know, and like wherever your personal standpoints are, you know, like I grew up, my grandfather was in the military, you know, like obviously, you know, so it's like, you know, there was a time before Vietnam where, you know, like the, I, I feel like it was more the norm for people to join the military out of obligation to serve their country right Mm -hmm. and like then that started to die down in the 80s when things became much more like self-serving you know like people were you know like kind of more focused on themselves and and all that and so you know like i understand why they would do something like that yeah like i think from our perspective where we are now like it feels manipulative but like it's marketing you know they're just Mm -hmm. marketing for the military and it's like everything everything that's marketing is a bit of a manipulation so you know this just happens to be one that is super you know like uh pro military uh you know uh, go america and and, and in the 80s at that time that was a a deal i think we're starting to see that a little bit more these days too you know kind of like uh, I, I feel like there's a bunch of movies that are coming out that are much more kind of like pro-service, pro-military. And I don't, you know, like they don't offend me. Like, I'm like, yeah, man, like these people are putting in their time, doing their work, doing that stuff. And, you know, like I I respect their service for for what they've done to to protect our rights, even though like I might not necessarily agree with everything the government is like doing, you know, but in the 80s Nobody was thinking about that and they needed people to join and this was the movie that was gonna do it and it worked. Five hundred percent is ridiculous to think about as an increase in yep. in recruitment. Well, so it, it obviously <clears throat> nailed it.
2: You think about, you know, there's always been some level of military propaganda in film. You sure. know, whether it was in whether it was the John Wayne, you know, the Green Berets and, and you know, that those films from the I guess you know 50s and into the 60s you know post world war ii and then vietnam sort of changes that and that's you know obviously we've talked many times on the show about the the holly you know new hollywood and its view on government and questioning and and the way vietnam was such a mess and you know people were down on the military um personally and it was expressed through film that you look at movies like the deer hunter it's like why would you join the military after seeing something like that and apocalypse now and you know so uh coming home so many were like just about the trauma of having gone through war and and what that's does to you when you come out of it now here we are fast forward you know five years or six years into reagan's you know run and you know it's it's time to to flip that around. That we're really pushing it. Like, no, it's cool. This is something like you've got to do. And you know, it, it just it fell in line with all of his politics. So it's totally on the comeback. And and that's where this you know this this movie slides in and and has a yeah. big impact and a, a big part of that.
1: I feel the need, the need for speed. Ow!
2: This movie really. Signaled the end of of New Hollywood. This was really the the final nail in the coffin. If you read the book Ra- Easy Riders, Raging Bulls, uh, by Peter Biskind, it it talks about this was it. Like Top Gun's release and success was the end of the era of Scorsese and Coppola and uh, you know to an extent the Brian De Palmas and and Bogdanovich and and they had they had had their run and they had, you know, had the the keys to the kingdom all through the seventies and had made some amazing films. But by the early eighties, all the risks they were taking were no longer paying off. You have disasters that are almost Mm -hmm. sinking or are sinking entire film studios like heaven's gate did. So, you know, the studios were like, well, wait a minute. (laughs) Okay. This is this, experiments not working anymore after about 10 12 years so you know it was hollywood's trying to figure out what what to do next and what they turned to was just blockbusters that make a ton of money right plot
1: thin not necessary
2: some of them yeah Uh, and some not so much like you know beverly hills cop huge hit love the movie ghostbusters huge hit back to the future huge hit all all great films And then you get Top Gun, which is just, you know, as these guys are, you know, having their sort of last shot, these auteur directors are having their last shot. And most of them, it's not working, even if, you know, Spielberg and Lucas are sort of separated from everybody because they, you know, went the realm of the the popcorn movie successfully in the 70s. But you still got, obviously, Scorsese hanging around, you know, his career is kind of like. Taking a, a dive downwards, but he'll level off and come back. And we've talked about some of those movies with uh, the Color of Money and After Hours and The King of Comedy. Like they're, you can look back on them and really respect them now. But uh, but you've also got the rise of Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone and Eddie Murphy and Bill Murray and, and, and you know everyone's just becoming so so much fun to see their movies and. And they're starting to gear towards through Stallone and Schwarzenegger military-minded movies. That um, now this is boom. This one just slams at home. Like mm-hmm. this is the kind of movie we're making. You've got Simpson and Brockheimer, Tony Scott, Tom Cruise, all just beginning the peak of their careers. So in- interesting time in film. You know whether you were sad to see the '70s films go or not. Right.
0: Also, because it's it's what how much is gonna be brought in per screen per week per you know there's only so many theaters right there's only right. so many seats so it's about what's uh, what's getting the what's getting the big cash right it's yeah it's, I
1: mean theaters just want to sell tickets like you know yep. like they want people coming in to see
2: whatever's gonna get the most people in that's what they're interested in putting in the theater
0: yeah yeah I, and I mean, how
2: many times can you run that movie in a day yeah yeah so
0: it was, you know, where there was a, a level of patience to the, the box office of, of actual filmmaking, you know, going through into the 70s and uh, coming out of the, out of them. Like there was like, the, and, and you'll still see that patience throughout the 80s. You'll see movies in for 20 weeks at a time. And, you know, they, they have their runs and that's why these movies sort of, they they stayed for as long as they did just because like the rental market was just just coming out or just booming rather and um, people still like that theater experience but yeah I mean it it's I can't imagine what like if you took a snapshot of like what Hollywood you know uh, critics of of like you know the the change of the culture looking at it like in nineteen eighty six and then showing them a snapshot of like how it actually is say today they probably never would have even thought it could get like the way it is now where it's just every big Marvel film has to take over every theater and all that. Well, and like, it's just, it's kind of, it's, it's pretty wild. <laughs> like,
1: it's, hard, it's hard to compete if you're not a Marvel or a, a comic book. I mean, when, I mean, when terrible comic book movies come out, I'm not going to name names or anything and they still are like, <laughs> top box office draws like it's hard to compete with that if if you're not a comic book movie you know like i mean it's just difficult like these days to when when you can release a decent comic book movie and it's going to make nine figures you know like if you're running the studios that's easy
2: math <laughs> yeah. so well, you know it it goes to like what do people want to come away with from a movie in the theater you know, looking at the movies of the 70s, great films, amazing films. But like 90% of them, when you walk away from that movie, you don't really feel great. Like you you right. respect the movie. Maybe your love of cinema goes up, but like you're not going, you're not like your energy isn't up. You're not jazzed coming out of that theater. So when these movies start coming out in the, the earlier first half of the 80s, I mean, at the peak of which was back to the future, I would say, just like and Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills I'm going mean, to keep naming those movies. Rocky three. You know, you're leaving the theater just totally pumped up in a good mood, high energy, wanting more of that, you know? Yeah. And that's, again, like them manipulating you. But, uh, you know, and, and that's that's again, this is where where Top Gun falls in and just falls in line right with those kinds of movies. Right. And that holds today like that's why, you know, good or bad, everyone's going to go see those superhero movies in the theater. Um, and well, yeah. I mean, there's a sense of spectacle that you gain
1: from the venue. Right. If you go see those in the theater, right? That you're, that, you know, like kind of your more dramatic, less spectacular, plot driven mm-hmm. stories don't necessarily, necessarily need that venue to, push their their uh their movie forward you know to, right. to, for you to be able to understand and receive that yeah but i mean i'll say like it doesn't you know like i mean there's still i mean i still think back good bad the ugly man like when i saw good bad and the ugly on tape or on cassette before like we saw it in college in 35 millimeter like i i didn't really like that movie all that much and then i saw it in, in class, and I was like, holy shit, man, this is a completely different experience, you know? And so, like, yeah. it, it, that movie, that moment, and not that I was ever lacking from wanting to go see movies, like, it's always been a thing, but that solidified it to me, like, the difference between the two. And if you can't, like, replicate that in your home theater setup, whatever it might be, like... There's definitely a reason to still go to see.
2: Well, all, I I think all movies should be seen in a theater if possible. You know, that's, that's the way to watch those absorb and really surround yourself in the world of that movie. Yeah. Now the difference is movies like, let's say a recent one, like three billboards with Francis McDormand. Yeah. So do you have to see it in the theater? No. Are you going to get the same kind of experience at home? pretty close. Like you can still walk away with that great, great story, but a Marvel movie, like you really need that experience in the theater at home. It's just, you're not going to get that depth that you would in a theater. Whereas the other movies you, you know, of course you should see it in the theater, but if you don't, you'll get the same, you know, something close to it at home. Yeah. So, but the, you know, the two guys who really, uh, separately from spielberg and george lucas who really figured out that formula is uh jerry bruckheimer and don simpson who were rising stars through the early part of the 80s with especially with uh flash dance with beverly hills cop that they right. really figured out like hey what what do your audiences want to see how do we, you know the popular movies yeah. how do we you know get that out there as much as possible
1: Well, those two movies definitely got their, you know, that was their foot in the door, kind of. But this movie solidified their ability to basically make whatever movie they wanted to afterwards.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. this A-list movies all the way going forward. Yeah. And a partnership that was tumultuous. You know, they were very different personalities. Of course, Jerry Bruckheimer is still... You know, I'm not sure actually what as far as feature films, what the last few things he really, you know, really produced were. But I know once he started moving into the CSI world, all those CSI shows and then, Mm -hmm. you know, he really took over television uh, in the 2000s that, you know, he moved from being success after success of films and then uh, taking over the television side. But always still hit after hit after hit, whether you like shows like CSI or not, they may have made a ton of money yeah. and been successful. They've been on for 20 years or more. Yeah. Millions of people, millions of people. Yeah. Love those shows. And, and Don Simpson was sort of, you know, they're both, they're different. They were different kinds of business people that, you know, Bruckheimer seemed like was all business all the time. Simpson was had a wild lifestyle that he he was a party guy and he got very into he was a little more high profile at the time and Bruckheimer was sort of the more of the behind the scenes guy. But Simpson got very deep into drugs and and just all sorts of trouble that would come in and out of his life uh until it until it ended in early ninety six. Uh and their last film they released under the Simpson Bruckheimer name was The Rock. And he had uh he had passed Was it up- or was it Anime of the state. No, was I it think, The Rock? I think the last one. Yeah, because they have okay. that logo that was, you know, the two. It was the two lightning bolts. Yeah, yeah. One for Samson, one for Bruckheimer, and The Rock was the. I remember, it's a whole thing that that was the last one, and then it just became Bruckheimer. Same logo, just one lightning bolt. Okay. Uh, Got it. But uh, you know where this? Let's let's talk about Top Gun specifically, where where this story came from, and. Uh, Bruckheimer was, had read an article called Top Gun in California magazine that was all about the lives of the, the fighter pilots at Miramar, uh, Naval, Naval base in San Diego, which was nicknamed fighter town USA. And it basically described the lifestyle that you pretty much see in the movie. And immediately he said, this is, this is a movie right here. We got to do it. So that kickstarted, uh. Hiring Jim Cash and Jack Epps to write the script, which, which did change over time. You know there was there was, without getting into the specifics of it, there was very different stories over over time, and they they weren't as happy with the script initially, but eventually kind of worked it through and and got it there. Especially after they hired Tony Scott. Now, where do you guys stand on Tony Tony Scott films? I'm a fan. I mean, I I don't know that I love all of them, but I like
1: I like this movie. I like Days of Thunder. I like White Squall. Um Oh yeah,
2: he did White Squall, forgot about that. Oh
1: yeah, I love White Squall. That's yeah. a that's a that's a hidden gem. Um So, but not all of them are great. You know, I mean, I think I think he's hit or miss.
2: Yeah, um, I, I think he's oh. a Are you a David are you a Tony Scott fan? Anyone's jump out at you that uh that you love or or don't love?
0: Uh you know, I've been entertained by some of his films. I'm not saying they're
2: Some of them I think like again, I, when I was younger, I loved like Last Boy Scout. I used to love as a kid. And then I right. watched it as an adult and I just thought it was awful. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh I I guess I'm more or less like, you know, I'm I'm cool with Tony Scott. You know, I'm not like, oh, I love like I don't know. <laughs> I've seen some of these films and you know, he's
2: fine. <laughs> yeah. Um, Enemy of the state. Good. I love Crimson Tide. Crimson Tide is mm-hmm. way up there. A lot of that is, you know, performances by everybody in that movie. Yeah. You know, top to bottom from Hackman and Denzel to like Gandolfini's in it. And, and, you know, a great, a great role prior to the Sopranos. Um, true romance. Yeah. We talked about true romance. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a, <laughs> killer movie. And, and you can find that in the archives at www.reconciliation.com if you want to check that episode out. But uh Tony Scott is the the brother of the legendary Ridley Scott and uh had only made one movie to this uh, at this time. It was called The Hunger. It's a vampire movie. I'm sure everybody listening knows of it if they haven't seen it, uh starring David Bowie. But that movie was was not a hit, was not a success. Um, so he kind of fell back on what I, I think uh, something that he'd always have in his pocket, which was uh, as a commercial director. And, you know, did a, a lot of the big, you know, car commercials that you'd see in the 80s were, you can always kind of tell like Tony Scott style of lighting, you know, and Top Gun is like really prevalent with the, you know, the the blinds half open and the way the light is shining in. It's a very particular look. Uh, and there was a commercial where a Saab is racing a, a jet and seeing that commercial, Bruckheimer and Simpson were like, this is the guy. If he can do this, like, I think he's the one to do this movie. Oh, I was. It, this really launched uh, Tony's career, which would go all the way through. God, I'm trying to remember what the uh, his last movie was. Was it that Unstoppable? It was, was Unstoppable. It yep. Yeah. Yeah yep
1: with Denzel and
2: is it chris Pine? Train? chris with the train? yeah the, the train movie yep the bomb as big as the Chrysler building <laughs> but uh yeah and a sad you know a sad ending for for tony who who took his own life on i think twenty thirteen maybe yeah. thirteen or fourteen and um you know uh it's a loss but uh he um you know certainly made some movies that are going to stand the test of time over the course of his career. So, but, um, so Tony Scott's involvement was, you know, key in, in the style of the movie itself, the pacing, the energy, uh, you know, the editing style, the, the, obviously the performance of the actors all kind of generates from him. And, you know, I think on, on that you know on that level especially with the technical stuff on this film like hits it out of the park yeah absolutely i mean
1: it's it's uh those qualities that he brought to the filmmaking is part of what makes this movie such a fun and, and wild ride i mean it was it was really his filmmaking that that brought the whole i mean it's brought you into the cockpit of of the fighter jets that, you know, and, and when you see that, like it is a thrill ride, man. Like, I mean, it is, it is, it's it's essentially he did to to flying in the cockpit what what uh was done for bullet in and you know car chases. Yeah. You know, and it's like it's it's awesome like getting to sit in there and see it. I mean, you never had anybody really had such a up close and personal kind of view to, to the acrobatic nature of fighter pilot, mm-hmm. you know, of, of the fighter pilot world. Uh, and he really kind of was able to, to put you right in the seat.
2: Yeah. And just, it just, the intensity of of the dogfights in the movie are just so well done. You know, that's <laughs> really what, like the, the, the strength of the movie is, is those action sequences. And, and I don't, I don't recall seeing a movie with that level of intensity, you know, and, and action and just really like like your anxiety is so high as, as that, you know, those yeah, scenes, I mean, you're going through those scenes. Like you were strapped they to before. a rocket. Like it's <laughs>
1: like, I mean, you feel like you're strapped to a rocket in a yeah. lot of it. I mean, there's you know, a real kind of power behind. Uh, the speed and the and the nature of the vehicle, right? Yeah. Like it's its own character within the movie, and it's, um, you know, I mean, I think it's
2: exhilarating. Yeah, and you know, with all the things about this movie, <clears throat> that you know, Simpson and Bruckheimer and the marketing of it, and you can you can set it up, but it's got to be the director who comes in and you know really, really puts that stamp on it and makes it the, the, the film that it's going to be, you know, they're the ones who are ultimately responsible for it being a good film or a bad film. You know, you can market it brilliantly all all you want, but if the, if, if it's not there, the story is not there or whatever that, you know, some element is there, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hold up. So, right. um, You know, a lot of the credit and I don't feel like, I always feel like he's sort of, the one left out like they credit everyone credits cruise you know for, for this movie and then simpson and bruckheimer but you know a lot of it is is tony scott and it's not his choice the for you know the involvement of the military like that part does not involve him like he's just like actually making the movie telling the story right right
0: right well, the dogfights like were so. I, I I guess they had to be pretty innovative, right? At the time, just the the intensity of that, and like the t- just the just enough of that technical speak of like how these guys are telling each other everything, and it just it feels so real because it, it is such a they're up in the air. It's so visceral, and you and then you hear them over the radio to each other, and you're just like, oh, you're that's the that's the closest you're ever going to get to like what a real dog fight looks like, you know, not mm-hmm. just these, yeah. the war movies, the static shots of just the plane going like this, yeah. going like that. you yeah. know, um, yeah. or just faking it with like, you know, zoomed in kind of rumbling, all that. It's like, no, like this stuff was, they had jets chasing other jets with cameras pointing at each other and like just fucking looking awesome. Yeah, I mean they
2: had they had cameras in the in the cockpit with the actors and, and it was it was shot on super thirty five. They that was the only thing that would fit fit in the cockpit without like falling over and needing to be held by somebody. So yeah, yeah. really innovative. And they had, yep.
1: And they had like military consultants and stuff like that. And obviously they take liberties throughout the movie to make it more, you know, Hollywood excitement and all that stuff. Sure. So but, but yeah, like the military consultants and stuff like that, certainly I'm sure uh, weighed in on, on the jargon and, and helping kind of sell that component of it so that, so that it did have that kind of sense of realism that you're talking about. David. Yeah, no.
2: yeah I think, I think there were certain, obviously creative liberties taken for sure that oh, there's yeah. no way the military would allow some of these wild moves, especially that Maverick's doing and, you know going up you know inverted the the whole inverted and flipping the guy off uh, you know like right that, that would never happen
1: but buzzing buzzing the tower yeah. like those kind of yeah those uh, yeah I don't think those sorts of things really happen yeah. but but for a movie come on yeah. Got to uh, buzz the tower. That's a whole joke. How is the guy going to spill a coffee all over himself we, and be
2: all angry about? You this? know, shout out to a, a fellow podcast that follows us and comments at us uh, uh, every so often. Their their show is called Buzz in the Tower. There you go. So there you go.
1: Sorry, Goose, but it's time to buzz the tower.
2: Now let's talk about our, our dear friend Tom Cruise. Welcome back to the show after uh, it's been a few months. Because I was inverted. Tom's back. And, you know, we talked a lot about his, where he stood in Hollywood on our Color of Money episode, which you can listen to in the archives at reconsinimation.com. But uh, he wasn't the first person they approached, really. They went after Matthew Modine, who's coming off of Full Metal Jacket at this point and is another, and I think Vision Quest and is a uh, a, a real a star with real potential through uh, at this point in the 80s. But, you know, he he couldn't get past the, um, you know, the political nature of the of the film and the military's involvement. And he just thought it was kind of what what it was, was a recruitment video for kids that he couldn't get on board with. So he turned the movie down and, uh, you know, really like it would have been interesting to see had he taken the role where would his career have gone because always a successful actor always working mm-hmm. but wasn't the household name that clearly tom cruise became yeah
1: well and tom cruise wasn't even sold on the movie at first like there were several like passes at trying to get him to sign on to do it a lot of work had to go into like making adjustments to things he had to weigh in on certain things mm-hmm. and- do some rewrites and and things like that and you know it's funny to think about that there's all this like time and effort putting put into trying to to polish the script for this thing and it's still lacking so much plot but (laughs) but it's a real thing and it took a it took them quite some time to get him to to sign on
2: yeah it took i think four times they went to him before he actually said yes and of course he's coming off of some really interesting movies that at some point in the life of our show, I'd like to cover the, we know, definitely got to talk about legend. Yeah. Well, risky business, all the right yep. moves legend. Uh, be- before all those, he did the outsiders and taps. which was, yeah. And tap like taps is love taps. And um, that's an intense movie, uh, a, yep. a Sean, another intense early eighties, Sean Penn movie, but yep. that's Cruz's first, first role, I think for first, you know, decent size. I think, yeah, he was an endless love as well, but that was just like oh, kind yeah, of a yeah. bit, a bit part, right? Yeah. I mean, he's really solid in taps and, and all of those films really. So, but you can see like looking at those movies and you know, who he's starting to work with the caliber of directors, he's starting to work with that, you know, he's for sure on the rise, um, and mm-hmm. is, is going somewhere and, uh, you know, and this is, this kind of seals the deal that this is, this is the movie that puts him on the A-list and he, where he has sat to this day. Right. And I mean, all military and political stuff aside, like, he's great in this movie. Like, I mean, mean, there's a reason that character is like this iconic character of the eighties that, you know, he's, he personified that.
1: Right. I mean, he there's a there's a reason this one was a was a springboard for him Mm and his career because he kills it. I mean,
2: he's as Maverick. Like
1: he nails this part.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he's had great performances over the course of his career. There are there are, you know, a number of roles that are just he really, really nails it. There's also, you know there's 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 misses in there too like anybody who's who's had a career of that length right but if you look at his
1: credits there's so many more hits than there are misses i mean i'm not i'm a fan i like myself some tom cruise like i'm i will go see a tom cruise movie but i would not see the sequel to the mummy (laughs) (laughs) i will pass on that
0: tom if you decide to make that movie yeah, I'm not going to make that.
2: <laughs> well, uh, there's you know, I remember reading an article with him years ago. I mean, a long time ago, it's probably around Eyes Wide Shut, where he was talking about he's always made it a goal of his career to like work with the best directors and the best producers and the best actors. And you look at everything, you know, and he's molded. He's the shining example of like what a movie star, You know how the industry can build a movie star, right? through his young years. And then he's working with Simpson and Bruckheimer. He's, you know, he's got Top Gun, but he's doing Color of Money. He's working with Paul Newman and Scorsese. Then he's working with Dustin Hoffman and Barry Levinson. And then he's working with Ron Howard and Robert Duvall and then Stanley Kubrick. And there's just so many of the top people in the in the industry that he surrounds himself. And again, it doesn't always uh, doesn't always work. Wasn't there like night and day wasn't that the cameron diaz movie and yeah but that's not i mean (laughs) listen and the mummy of course night and day
1: not great but it's watchable it's
2: watchable there's very few on his list that's just not watchable well i I mean after mission impossible i guess mission impossible three really he sort of found that even as he was getting older like found that action
1: oh he definitely like that yeah there's certainly a a formula that you see in a lot of a lot of his movies starting with yeah mission impossible 3 i think is i mean maybe 2 yeah but 2 is like man all right we don't want to get into 2
2: well it's yeah but after jerry maguire like th- you don't really see you know, maybe Magnolia is in there afterwards, but but which is an amazing performance, I think.
1: Yeah. I mean, he still peppers things in that are not. I mean, you got Rocket Ages in 2012. That's like out of context for a lot of oh, that yeah. stuff. So I mean, like, he peppers other things in, but there's certainly like when it comes to his action movies, you know, like your Mission Impossibles, your Jack Reachers, your, you know, I mean Edge of Tomorrow, like great film. There's oh, it's a great film. I just rewatched that again like two weeks ago that movie is fantastic i really hope the sequel actually happens but uh there's certainly like a bit of a a formula to what he does but he still pumps things in there like american Made is out of you know like that's that's a little different but totally watchable you Mm -hmm. know i mean i don't know man like i have a hard time like not liking this guy's stuff well he always the mummy's just really bad
2: yeah, I don't know if anybody saw it. If you that's, did, you know what I'm talking about. That's it, the only thing I've ever heard about it. I saw the trailer. That's all I needed. The yeah. you know, he always tries to have in each of his movies, he tries to have something memorable. You know, some there's a scene that's like usually in the trailer, but it's some moment of intensity that is going to, you know, really like you, you have to see this movie. You have to see how this scene Know, it's him really hanging out the side of a plane, or him really climbing up the side of a building, or in a helicopter I'm, that's like going down, you know.
1: Yeah, I'm on board for seeing this dude who's almost 60 years old
2: like pull this freaking crazy shit off. Yeah. Like, well, we're gonna come all the way around to Maverick, uh, towards the end of the show. I right. will say, I have. I have seen Maverick. I, I was fortunate enough to go to a, a special private screening and uh, I will try to keep it spoiler free, but give you sort of a gist of it. So, but we'll, we'll come back to that.
1: I heard um, you throw some shade on world of the worlds earlier. and I'm curious about that,
2: but. Yeah. Oh, I'm not a fan, not a fan all at all.
1: Time. Yeah. You got to go back and rewatch it, man. It's not that bad. It's pretty good.
2: I think that's, um, Oh, there's a there's so many worse movies, but for I don't think it did what it could have done at all. It felt like so to me. It felt like it was just, uh, you know, that that was like half of what it could have been. Uh, Thought it was he felt like a layup. Yeah, I disagree.
0: Yeah, (laughs)
1: I think it's pretty good. I
0: thought I thought it was like it's made for it's it's popcorn movie. It's made for the theater. It's Spielberg, and it's just like. It goes, oh my God, look at all this crazy shit. Okay, let's take a breath. And here's some other unpredictable thing. And it's just a roller coaster. And I was like, yeah. uh, and like, you know, the camera does, doesn't stop. Like, I was just like, it, it felt different. It didn't feel like a Spielberg movie. It's, it's interesting. No, I'm, I agree it with you. It felt like David. a Cruise movie. Like, we're just going in it. Like, yeah. I didn't buy Tom Cruise as a deadbeat dad at all. I was <laughs> At like, all. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Like, I'm like, this, that's in terms of like giving his characters flaws, like, he can't he's probably the perfect dad like <laughs> like i don't know him in real life but yeah it just, i mean it's funny because
1: john when i first saw it i felt like you do about it and i know we're not here to talk about this movie but i just wanted to bring it up because i heard your shade and i wanted to talk about
0: it but it's precisely at the point like this seems to be the tipping point is where the world's I like, probably yeah. like pre-drews yeah. and post-drews yeah i think you're right it's probably around the time that he had a whole
1: lot of other A lot of personal stuff. A lot of news and a lot of things going on that like rub people the wrong way, like personal stuff. And you know, I get it. Like people have, you know, we put actors on a certain whatever. But it's like going back to War of the Worlds. I felt like you did because I had high, high expectations for it. And it wasn't what those expectations are. And so I was put off by it. But I've gone back and I've rewatched it with those expectations put aside. And I actually find it like really, really good. Like I think it's a really good movie. You should,
2: right. uh, you should uh, maybe, I'll maybe give it a
1: shot, dust it off, and check it out. <laughs> it, I'm not it, saying go right out and buy like the deluxe edition on,
0: on laser disc, but I'm just saying maybe we for that tumultuous time of cruise, too. It's such an interesting that's such an interesting little thing because it's like if you think 99 Magnolia Mission Impossible 2, Vanilla Sky Minority Report, which was huge right and then a cameo and Austin Powers last Samurai which had and then Collateral which is great like Collateral's <laughs> awesome and then yeah. War of the Worlds and Mission Impossible 3 and then it was like oh Cruise. nobody knows they did Tropic Thunder and then everybody was on Team Cruz after Tropic Thunder I think like that was it yeah
2: yeah well I mean part of why he's polarizing and we're just going to talk about it here is is you know, trying to separate like the personal side of Tom Cruise and the religious beliefs and and everything that comes with Scientology and whether that's something you're on board with or not, um, you know, trying to separate that from the an actor who's giving a performance. So, you know, I've gone through periods where it's really hard for me to separate the two. I'm trying as, as I get older, trying to, and I do it all across the board with sports You know because we we do the star thing with athletes obviously that you know everybody's human and and just because they can you know dunk a freaking basketball doesn't mean that they're a really great person outside of that same thing for actors so try to look at like okay this is for their acting performance here what you know are they bringing it Do they doing are they doing their job versus whatever's going on outside so trying to separate the two now um, and be better about looking at it that way that, you know, and then, and then it's up to me whether that's somebody I want to give my money to or not. Right.
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess it's interesting because beliefs are always like such a interesting kind of, kind of topic for me. Like, yeah, as an actor and his movies, he's like 98% success rate for me and i'm uh, like i'll go and i'll watch a movie that he's in and i'll feel pretty comfortable that i'm going to go into that movie and i'm going to see something that i'm going to walk out and be like that was a lot of fun that was incredible like there were some things in there that are just like wow like how did they pull that off and i'm it's like exciting as a movie watching experience which like in the world that we've already talked about where it's like Always this rinse repeat, like comic book stuff. Like, even though Mission Impossible is a little bit rinse-repeat, like the practical nature of the of the things that are being done on film, I find absolutely captivating. Mm-hmm. Which is like the spec the spectacle of Marvel or sorry, of comic book movies in general, I've I find entertaining, but like they're all there's nothing about them is practical they're all digitally enhanced and they're beautiful and there's like the skill that's involved in creating what's being put on film is like mind-blowing but like to have someone literally hang off the side of a freaking plane or to you know like those are the movies that's that's where i get excited because people aren't doing it anymore you know and like growing up in the 80s and the 90s that was done a lot more because computers weren't something that we could like lean into as heavily yeah, yeah. and so when you see those now like man I'm going to go support just so that we can see more of that you know it's it's part of why I mean like like I'm not a huge fan of the movie Interstellar right now we've talked I think a little bit about it before in the past but I love that everything about that movie is practically done
2: mm-hmm.
1: and like everything about it is like tactile and feels you know like rooted in reality in a way and it's you know like i i miss that sometimes and i know with his movies like you're gonna get that and you're gonna see somebody put their body like on the line for these like bananas kind of kind of performances and it's like okay like i'm gonna back you for that yeah as a person like i don't know that i'm gonna go hang out with you you know like i'm not gonna want to go like grab dinner with you like we're not gonna like me and your kids are not gonna hang out like probably not you know like we think two different totally things you know but hey man like i can still support what you're putting out there as your job you know like i think you know as a person who consumes entertainment as much Mm -hmm. as i do like i will i will buy into that
2: yeah well all right let's uh We've talked a lot about Tom Cruise. There are other actors in this movie. So many other many. actors. This so many. David's favorite part of the show. Who's in this movie? All right. There's a lot of young, attractive people in it, that's for sure. So mm-hmm.
1: also um, true.
2: You know, we've got this is uh this is, you know, the night prime of the nineteen eighties where where sex sells and you know they're trying to get very uh uh, uh, you know, almost objectifying the actors are really like objectified in this movie. Like the, vo- we'll come back to the volleyball scene, but you know that's uh, a of lot my of favorites. beautiful looking people out there. <laughs> um, Kelly McGillis, who's a-, a name you don't hear very often anymore, but is a big no. part of this movie. Um, As she was just coming off of Witness, which is a huge and brilliant film uh, from 1985. Right. She uh, is Charlie, the the, sort of like the co-lead of of the movie, um, you know, on the poster with Tom Cruise. Yeah. And is another kind of forgotten part of, of the movie. And this is going to be complicated. She, you know, had a tough time after this movie that that, you know, she not everybody takes to stardom and everybody. You know, enjoys all the things that come with that success. And she's one of those people that struggled with everybody wanting her, you know, after 86, 87, probably into 88, that, um, you know, having no time for yourself, questioning who's really your true friends. And, um, you know, she struggled with that. So moved her career more towards the theater and and away from film and kind of got her life back to herself and and you know in doing that you you lose the spotlight and and but that's what she wanted so yeah. um you know it, Yeah she uh,
1: I've I've seen a couple interviews with her and she was really struggling like I I've seen some stuff where she said that if, if she had known how successful the movie would be, she probably wouldn't have done it because she never felt like she was really, she always kind of felt like she was, uh, has this imposter syndrome. Like she was never really like worthy of being like this super mega star and, Mm -hmm. and that, and that, you know, when that happened, like she just was always kind of waiting for people to figure out that she was no good um, you know, because she just r- was really struggling with kind of her own self confidence and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but just like Tom Cruise delivers a, a, a really great performance here, so does she. Like, it, they're they're the reason like that relationship works as well is because they're both so very good at their at their parts. Like, it's it's pretty incredible, and it's it's a shame that she didn't feel like
2: she she was as good as, as she was, but it man, it's she is amazing in this, yeah. And uh, little trivia she was dating in real life, was dating yeah. Barry Tubb, who plays Wolfman at the time. So I think there was some difficulties with that, you know. Little love, little yeah. love triangle, yeah. She was, you know, she had said she's doing these love scenes with Tom Cruise and just thinking about. Uh, Wolfman, the whole time.
1: So. <laughs> you're everyone's problem. That's because every time you go up in the air, you're unsafe. I don't like you because you're dangerous.
2: Val Kilmer, who would, you know, had already done what? Top Secret. David, what are he... Uh, Top Secret and. Um, Real Genius? Real Genius, yeah. Real Genius yep. was
0: the year before, I think, right?
2: So, yep. and, and believe it or not, like, he did not want to do this movie. He was forced no. into doing it. He was under contract to Paramount and. He was put on this movie. And uh, really, I think this movie, I would say this over the ones prior to that is really what sort of launched him.
1: I'd say so. I mean, it took his career in a completely different direction. I mean, like, he was always on, I I think he was similar to Cruz. Like, he was kind of on the rise. Like, he was a known quantity. Like, he was on the trajectory to have a successful career. Mm-hmm. But he was doing comedies, you know, like he he was not doing kind of
2: these like more dramatic, more like uh yeah dramas know. or action. I mean it was it was yeah. he was going the comedy route. Right. Um but Iceman Iceman. Yeah I mean he's you gotta have the I mean, if there is a villain in this movie, it would be Iceman, even though, you know, he's really not. He's his rival, really, is a better word for it. That, Yeah. Um, and the Iceman-Maverick relationship we're going to come back to in a second. But, uh, you know, a solid performance here. Obviously, he showed what he could do. He's had a, um, you know, an up and down career that he's had, especially all the way through the late 90s he was an A-list star, you know, he was Batman. If you're playing Batman, you've, you're definitely at a certain level. And then the Saint, and then, you know, Dr. Moreau and some of these movies are big releases that are just not, not hitting after successes like Tombstone and the Doors and Thunderheart. And, um, some of those films that were, were bigger hits, but, uh, you know, and then his career kind of got a little lost in the two thousands and, you know, you see him as the villain in *MacGruber* and doing more independent kind of movies, and hearing a lot of stories, challenging to work with, and 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 a lot of difficulties. But then, recently, you know, getting his uh, it was throat cancer, wasn't it? I, that that yeah. really, um, I think, changed his life. I have I have not seen *Val* the documentary. Oh, it's on good. Him, it's very hear, good. Yeah, I hear it's amazing. It's very good. Uh, you know, so his life, like, like most humans, when something traumatizing like that happens, it really, you know, shakes you up and, and has you reevaluate things. And I think there's, you know, a new appreciation, I think he has a new appreciation having survived that Mm -hmm. and for audiences, you know, almost losing somebody like that. Like now you can sort of appreciate what you have. Um, and we'll talk about whether or not he. Is involved in maverick and in a few i'm just laying teases out here for our maverick conversation at the end but uh, uh yeah big big star uh is uh, born here with val kilmer <laughs> <laughs> oh jesus oh you kill me you really do <laughs> no 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 there's two o's in goose boy anthony edwards who I knew as the guy from Gotcha at this point. Oh, really? You ever see that the paintball movie? Yeah, yeah. I knew him from Revenge of the Nerds and oh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, of I think he
1: was in a couple other things that came before this. but- Yeah, he was
2: Fast Times. He's in. Yeah, Fast Times. Yep, exactly. But you know, this again solidified a career that still goes to this day and and uh, has had a long successful career, especially his years on ER and other shows. And he's you know he he continuously pops up, but Goose was just uh, you know was set up to be that lovable sidekick character that you as an audience member like you're going to like him. No, oh, yeah. now watching it now, how do you feel about Goose? Do you feel like he's still that lovable guy or do you seem kind of kind of cheesy?
0: that's that's he's exactly that guy. He's 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 got the quips, he's 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 too clever, he's too funny.
1: Yeah. You know, he's, he's the,
0: the wingman. He's a yeah. perfect wingman.
2: Yeah. 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 And it's a setup. It's all a setup that like, you know, this is the guy you're really going to identify with because, you know, guys like this or maybe you are a guy like like Goose, you know, Maverick is not like a real person, <laughs> you know, uh, whereas Go- Goose is that identifiable one. So sure. Um, yeah, it's that great balls of fire scene that that oh, is that's the good. one. That it's just cringe to me, though. <laughs> like it's oh, so really
1: I love <laughs> it. <laughs>
2: Well, you still do that when we go out. Uh, every time. Yeah. Every time. That and
1: uh you lost that love and feeling. That's uh yep. that's the one right You there. love
2: the, the bar serenading. It's if there's one thing about you, it's if you're gonna get me to go to a bar these days, that's all that's happening. <laughs> that's a... Um Meg Ryan. So this is uh an early, early appearance for her. I think yeah. after this would be the Presidio and then pretty quickly is when Harry met Sally and that's really what, you know, Oh, inner space. Don't forget that. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, that's when she really hits the A-list, but I don't know, you know, I I don't really like love her character in this movie, but it is, it's kind of cute to just see her pop up and really such a side character.
1: Yeah. There's not much to her character. I think she does fine with what she has. I mean, I do like the scene between her and, Tom Cruise when she's mm-hmm. talking about Goose and how he loved to fly with, you know, like, I think yeah. that that's, you know, that that's probably the meatiest thing she has in, in here. But, yeah. um, you know, I think she,
2: I think she's great. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's not much to the character until that scene. That yeah, for sure. Finally she has something to do. Um, and a lot of other great actors in this movie, some, some of my favorites, uh, Tom Skerritt, who we've covered here, I think, a couple of times, and Michael Ironside, one of my growing up as a kid, he was one of my all time favorites uh, from V mostly, and then later would see Total Recall and and Scanners and and so many other Starship Troopers and um, so many other great performances, but solid guys. James Tolkien from the Back to the Future movies, Rick Rossovich's Slider we talked about Barry Tubb, Clarence Gilliard Jr. from Die Hard, and Walker, Texas Ranger. I mean, come on, can it can it get better than that? Uh, John Stockwell, who would go on to have a big directing career, Adrian Pasdar, who we we talked about in our Near Dark episode, and last but not least, the, uh, one of the first appearances by a very young Tim Robbins mm-hmm. as Merlin. So. You know, you've got your War of the Worlds is, is a Top Gun reunion, really. Uh-uh. Um, going back to Michael Ironsides real quick. Have you ever seen a movie
1: that he's in? It's from 82 called Visiting Hours. Mm-mm. Holy shit, man. This is the first introduction that I had of, of this guy. And I don't want to give too much away, but you got to definitely check it out. He plays a crazy ass guy who kills people in the hospital. You might remember the poster. The poster is like the this, this silhouette of a hospital with the uh, like the, the lights, the windows, like the lights on, and the windows of the, the hospital, and it's a skull. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's a scene in there always like it sticks in my head, and I'm like, uh, this is the movie that, that I remember him. He like yeah. shoves this racquetball in this lady's. Oh my God. Mouth and like suffocates her. It's terrifying.
2: Oh, geez.
0: Yeah, so anytime
1: this dude pops up, that's what pops in my head. And I'm like, I never want to hang out. I'm never going to play racquetball with this guy ever in my life.
0: (laughs) This is visiting hours?
1: Yeah,
2: visiting hours. You got to check it out. David's literally buying it on uh, on Looking at it right right now. now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, William Shatner in that movie. (laughs) I don't remember William Shatner in that movie at all. I only remember Michael Ironside. That's the only, like, I don't know anything else about that movie, except he's in it. He's crazy and he's got a racquetball and that oh boy i don't know It felt like he was on tv all the time when i was a kid like i saw of, it more than more feels, than once
2: feels like maybe a usa movie yeah i feel like it that. could quite quite a quite possibly yeah or a tnt like late night kind of movie
0: yeah oh it's a canadian movie yeah definitely a up all night <laughs> USA. usa up all night yeah
2: I am Ron Is she are host of u s a up all night i was
1: I was definitely an up all night kind of kid so
2: um let's talk about so the story the plot the story it's all things being equal. the plot's pretty damn thin in this movie I mean, <laughs> really like there's no even like there's no mission that they're even going on. It's all just practicing like these are practices that they happen to run into you know. Mig. do you
1: feel like you're missing it though like
2: when you're um, watching the movie do you feel like you're missing not like necess- it all still
1: kind of it all still kind of flows into itself
2: rather yeah, seamlessly it, and you're're you're, without... you're not wrong you're not wrong there's just like are there really stakes in this movie not not really I mean they're... no I mean just the Russians at the beginning and the
1: end like right that's, but it's not like know. they're
2: going on a mission to Attack them, you know, they no, they, but that's yeah, no, absolutely. But that's what makes, like,
1: kind of you know, the Iceman and Maverick relationship interesting, you know, and then obviously there's the whole like psyche issue of, you know, like, I my wingman has died, I'm responsible, you know, and and kind of what we see at the beginning of the movie, which is happening with uh john,
2: john stockwell's character where he has the he has the breakdown
1: yeah why do i want to call him jester his name's not jester but i i i forget what is oh, michael sign.
2: ironside's jester yeah yeah cougar no. you're talking about cougar, cougar. yeah cougar.
1: so you know but like you're obviously seeing like there's a big head trip thing so like they they create even without there being any stakes they create
2: Stakes, right? Like, or, or, yeah, it's like or sort of internal stakes. Or, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Maybe a rivalry competition. Yeah. Proving, so you th- know, there are, there, there's a spine to each of the characters. Like, you know, yeah. Maverick's got a chip on his shoulder. Um, he's out to prove himself for, you know, his, you know, you forget about the plot about his dad. That's oh, yeah. Until he goes to
1: visit Tom Skerritt.
2: Yeah. Then that's, it's like, but... oh, I was there. And yeah. it's like, oh, cool. Well, I guess I'm better. Yeah, he's got you know father father issues. Um, yeah. So he's trying to he's trying to prove himself, and um, obstacles get in the way of that right. psychologically and and you know physically. So
1: yeah. So I think it's interesting because you're right. There's very little plot. It's super thin. I don't really find myself missing it that much, which is kind of funny because most movies, I'd say, if you didn't have a plot, you're you're DOA, man. Yeah. But I don't know. Again, probably nostalgia for this one. But David I will... seems to be missing it, I think. And that's what he was saying earlier on.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I said, I accept it. It's, it's you sure. know, it is what it is. I mean, it's just like the, uh, the insane banter from between Tom Cruise <laughs> and Kelly McGillis from the second they meet <laughs> each other, where it's just like, I'm gonna to try to sleep with you, and I, and then I'm just gonna put up as much resistance until until we're until we're done bantering, like until we can a,
1: ride in an elevator together, and then
0: it's and it's just like, oh my gosh, take a take a break, take it's just to like, come up for air, like yeah, it's heavy. Um, what do you want to do? Just drop right down on the tile and go for it. I actually have this
1: counter in mind that would be very very
2: comfortable yeah it could be yeah that and that's that's an angle like watching it now from 2022 that that's like uncomfortable to watch like how sexually and like physically aggressive he is you know he's basically harassing her when you look at it like at the bar you know at the bar, following her into the bathroom. Well, like, I'll, So yeah. I'll say the singing at the bar, I
1: don't, I mean, the singing is cringeworthy, singing. But,
0: it's cringey, but it's
1: But it's like, was. whatever. Like that part doesn't really get me. He sits down next to her after he's invited to sit down next to her. Okay. The following her into the bathroom and the whole like dialogue where it's like up on the counter, like that is, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. just, it's tough. That's too much. You know, like already- anybody
2: doing that now would be, you know, would be just called out right away on it
1: sure yeah absolutely or you would yeah th- but that, that that scene wouldn't happen again and then the rest of it is like cat and mouse kind of stuff like she's kind of playing with him i feel like throughout yeah the rest right well it's but inappropriate
2: like- the whole relationship's inappropriate the student teacher you know yeah having you know but he's she's of a civilian age. it's not she's like civilian. he's a yeah, civilian true yeah but she still is you know? his his uh his teacher, really.
1: I mean, there's lots of college professors. I mean, come on, it's the '80s, dude. College professors <laughs> were 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 dating students in every movie. Well, check out <laughs> yeah. Animal House. It's I know, right. one
2: of our most popular downloads. You're 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 darn right. That's that's uh, number one. I
1: I'm not, and I, look, I'm not arguing. Like I agree. Like some of it, the bathroom scene is like kind of just un, really unacceptable. But you know, I mean. She, it's, she, very yeah.
0: there, yeah, it's very yeah. 80s yeah well and like you know they frame it like he has something she needs too which is the information on the mix so he just wants to have sex with her conquer her <laughs> but yeah. what can she get out of it information to get a promotion
1: from the and mig 28 So she, what it is mig
0: 28 yeah I guess yeah and so they're all smiles the whole time like it's all banter like the whole time like it's just a game we both are aware of the game we gotta try to outsmart each other. Well, who's gonna slip up and think, let let the other kiss the, the other? Like it's it's wild. Who's
1: gonna take whose breath away? That's the real question that Berlin <laughs> yeah. wanted and
2: to know. Think about that elevator scene that that was added way yeah. later on. That's those are reshoots and uh-huh. and think about what that relationship would be like without that scene. I mean, that I think that, that scene, scene is key. important. I think it's that scene important. is really important. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Without, without that, it, like it is. Work
1: yeah it is it is her character is ri- like unfortunately like i think i think that scene validates a lot of what has mm-hmm. been happening throughout the rest of it. yeah right? you and need so, that
2: scene and and uh, you know th- there that scene was done like months later her hair right. was like dark brown by that point she was that's shooting- why she was in the hat yeah, that's why right. she's that's wearing the funny. hat. She's she was shooting a movie called Made in Heaven, and he was on Color of Money, which is why his hair is all wet and matted down because he had the pompadour oh, yeah. for Color of Money. So they both funny. had to leave those movies to shoot, you know, shoot that scene. But yeah. uh, no, I yeah. think wh- wh- whoever decided to add that scene in that was a very good call. I think yeah. that was on, I think it was a Bruckheimer Simpson call. Yeah, that works. That, that was very, a very good one. Yeah. It's a very necessary scene. Now, I'm going to point out, too, not necessarily, and I mean, you guys can speak up if this is your point of view on it, but in the mid 90s, there was a mo- movie called Sleep with Me that came out, starring, I think it was co starring and produced by Quentin Tarantino, where he hmm. proposes a certain theory about Top Gun which is that it's 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 got massive homosexual undertones and it's about a love story really between Iceman and Maverick and whether Maverick is going to uh, convince himself that he's a heterosexual or admit that he's actually a homosexual. And he, you know, it's like it's like a, I don't know like a five minute scene in that movie where he goes on this tirade where he raises certain points of you know like it's the cat and mouse game with with uh charlie who has a man's name right or quote unquote man's name that you know it's not until she starts dressing like a man that he starts to he starts to you know really come over to her and it's whatever he he has a list of 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 points he's proving now that's tarantino who loves his theories about things and i'm not saying that any of us agree with that i'm just pointing it out there because that was that came on my radar about this movie after that because i was such a big tarantino fan in the 90s that like oh is that oh yeah like looking at it through that lens
1: i don't know sure i think you can put any kind of spin on anything you want to if you if you you know, cherry pick the right moments and and decide to to do so. You know, like, I mean, the volleyball scene is freaking hilarious, no yeah. matter what the driving factor is behind it. It's stupid as all get out, but yeah. it's like, whatever, you know, like it's also quintessential eighties, you know, like if you yeah. talk to the filmmakers, they put that in because it's a movie about a bunch of dudes flying jets There's gonna be like, where's the interest for any ladies to go see this movie? Yep, absolutely. So they put a whole bunch of, you know, fit dudes glistening in a volleyball scene, which you know, yeah, does it fit in the movie? Whatever. Like, is it? I don't know. Again, do I think Tarantino is onto something? I think if you want to analyze things a certain way you could probably find whatever kind of argument you wanted to support that
0: yeah i think that's that's the that's the the fun way to look at this or like oh this movie's so so gay in that way there's the the undertones the you know the it's like yeah there's always but you know and if if we're being real about it there's always like a level of homoeroticism with you know straight men and how good they are at things and all of that like this sort of the posturing
2: well there are many and there are several like half naked at least you know and like real intense moments between those those characters and
1: yeah i mean hanging out in their towels after showers
2: yeah it's 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 you know just hanging around the locker room taking your time (laughs) sure thing yeah well if if you want to hear all about his theory you can check out sleep with me or look it up online but uh tarantino loves his theories he sure does yes um another another element to this movie that uh i think is so crucial to it is the soundtrack that is one of my all-time favorite soundtrack i love it like even in the periods of time where i did not enjoy this movie or or negative to it i i will always love the soundtrack there's so many great 80s songs you know from from kenny loggin stuff and of course danger zone and there's mighty wings and then there's the, the top gun anthem harold faltermeyer is like one of the king uh you know composers of the 80s and so many great ones that from beverly hills cop to fletch to this yeah uh, you know tango and cash and um you know that the music is is really important to the energy of the movie and it, it's fueling it and Kenny yeah. Loggins you know really came in at the last second um, the the danger zone was was written by Giorgio Moroder who's another you know famous composer that uh, and it was it was supposed to be Toto it was then it was going to be Brian Adams and Corey Hart all those guys were Ario
1: Speedwagon too.
2: Yeah, Ario right? Speedwagon was in there. Um, you know, some the deals fell through. I think Brian Adams and Corey Hart <laughs> it was it was political that they turned it down, just like Matthew Modine. And this Kenny is a Loggins, funny. <laughs> yeah, just walks in and basically just you know records the song like right at the last minute.
1: Well, no, isn't the story that Kenny Loggins and it, it, he wanted to make sure he had a song in the movie. He was like, "We gotta have a song in this movie." So. He wrote the song "Playing with the Boys."
2: Oh yeah, that's a, yeah yeah yeah. To
1: be in the movie, because he was like, nobody's gonna write the song for the volleyball scene. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna write the song for the volleyball scene. Yep. So I guarantee I have a, move, a, a song in the movie. Yeah. And then after they went through everybody to try and get somebody to do "Danger Zone," right? Is it "Danger Zone" or yeah, is it? Yeah. yeah.
2: They it's, couldn't find it's anybody. Danger Zone. That's what that's danger how you zone? say. It. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: They finally were like, Hey, can you do this for us? So he just like laid it out and it was like, There you go. Yeah. Here's here's like fifty million dollars you're gonna make off royalties off this yep. song because it that that, to this that day. album was in Billboard's top two hundred for like Yeah. I mean it's it was an massive. album like
2: all of my friends had the Top Gun soundtrack. It was just yeah. one of those that was like in your library.
1: For every person who owned the VHS tape of the movie, there were four people
2: that had at least one copy of of the Top Gun soundtrack like it was everywhere yeah and then there was I think maybe 15 years ago they put out a uh, an extended edition that has the the uh, you know the Righteous Brothers and and Great Balls of Fire and all the like oh all the like non 80s you know music that's in it so I haven't heard that that full soundtrack though but um, and then of course like you mentioned before, take my breath away by Berlin. Mm -hmm. I remember that music video. Um, It was, it was a huge song. And in fact, of the four Oscars that Top Gun was nominated for, this is the one that won. Yeah. That's the best song. song. Yeah. Yeah. And Berlin, you know, this is the, the end of Berlin really, because the, the, this is the peak, they finally made it, but the band wasn't all in agreement of the direction they were headed in, and they split up, like, immediately after this and went their own ways. So, yeah, uh, that was, uh, you know, a big, a big theme of, of the movie that you hear a number of times. Um, but my personal favorite's gonna be the Top Gun anthem, Harold Faltermeyer. Uh, take, takes, it, takes it home for me. Um, all right, so yeah, a lot of so much Top Gun talk. I think we should maybe just sidetrack and take a look at box office glory. Perfect. So Paramount needs a big hit at this point. We've talked a lot about the Friday the Thirteenth movies being sort of the the savior for Paramount. That was the guaranteed hit that they need. They needed to recoup some of the losses you know for for every beverly hills cop and flash dance are having a lot of movies that aren't hitting as well so um you know again they really needed to keep get that momentum up and try to keep it going the the movie only had a 15 million dollar budget you know i i think it would have been much higher but because of the military's involvement all those ships and planes like they're all donated or, or paid some kind of light fee but it was like Dude,
1: that's crazy the production value gained by that is yeah
2: bananas. yeah bananas I mean, that's producing boom yeah. right there wow yeah i mean business wise like that is a, a a amazing deal you know and, and but then their point of view is the free advertising that they're getting and plus you know like the recruitment they're getting off of it. but um so yeah, really, only fifteen million dollar budget. It opens May sixteenth, nineteen eighty six, at number one against a movie called Sweet Liberty, which I don't know what that is. Um, it had an eight point one million dollar opening weekend, which is pretty pretty good for the time. It's got a hundred and eighty million dollar domestic run, three hundred and fifty seven worldwide. So, wow. for a fifteen million dollar budget, say say 25 after advertising, and look at that profit. That's huge, huge. Uh, It was in the top 10 all the way until November 7th, 1986. So that's what, six months? Six months in the top 10. And then almost immediately right into home video where, like we said, comes in at that reduced price. So suddenly it's like everybody's buying it. So I don't know. I don't know if you double how much it's made. It's it's hard to find records on the home video sales, but uh, I can just imagine it was just almost equal because oh, yeah. right? <clears throat> people were buying it all the way through the nineties. Like when I worked at Suncoast, Top Gun was a regular sale. It was just a movie that, you know, we'd get three in by the end of the week, two would be gone. Wow. Like it was just people were just buying it. Um it is indeed the number one movie of 1986, uh, just coming in just ahead of Crocodile Dundee, Platoon, and Karate Kid 2. Hmm. And it's interesting, you know, we talk about war, war or military-related movies. A movie like this and, and Platoon comes out the same year. And how different. They, they couldn't be more different from each other. Nope. The approach. The style, the way the movie's made. Platoon's Oliver Stone, right? Oh yeah, that's 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 the movie. I mean, some heady stuff that made him a, a top director. I mean it was best picture that year. Yeah. You know, and Top Gun is it's one of the most revered and respected action movies of all time, really. I mean, it's one of the top movies of the 80s, and for skyrocketing the careers of Tom Cruise. Tony Scott, uh, Bruckheimer and Simpson, Val Kilmer, you know, it launches, I mean, you can even say Meg Ryan, you know, Anthony Edwards, Tim Robbins, like all of these people have this springboard, some higher than others. But, you know, this was, this is a movie that had a major impact, love it or hate it, over a long period of time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, in the mid 90s when the 5.1 surround sound home system became old like super popular, <laughs> this movie had another resurgence because between this and Days of Thunder, that's how you tested your sound system. Yeah. You put these movies in,
2: <laughs> that's how you know if you got it working right. Yeah. On on top of all that, you know, it's it's uh the aviator glasses, the bomber jackets, like popularizing those. <laughs> I had I had both. <laughs> <laughs> oh you you need to wear it next time we see each other oh
1: well i don't think the aviator jacket fits anymore but
2: uh find nice. the, i find the glasses when one of my sons was little he had a little little guy aviator jacket and it was adorable yeah he didn't wear he no, wore I rem- it like twice but
1: i remember man i remember like that next like fall yeah. like everybody had the the bomber jackets. Everybody and had the bomber jackets. The Everybody look. was wearing the Ray Bans. Yep. yep. It's
2: the white t shirt and jeans. Like yep. was, you know, look at all the like you know, Pepsi and, and Mountain Dew commercials after this. Like they're all like that's that's a look. Yeah. It's usually like on the weekends when I'm home, you know, just fixing my motorcycle. Like that's yep. what With I'm With Your wearing, cigarette too. pack rolled up in your sleeve. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, just you know, in the garage working on working it. on
1: your ninja motorcycle.
2: Yep. <laughs> uh, but you know, if it weren't for this movie, we would never have been, been given the gems that we got in 1991 and 1993 with the Hot Shots movies. So uh, thank man, you or, for-
1: or, or or the Iron Eagle franchise. Oh my Let's God! Look.
2: Yeah, yeah. Can't forget that. Yeah, that was another classic. <laughs> We'll get to Iron Eagle one day. I I used to love the first one. Yeah, man, Lewis Gossett Jr. I'll yeah. take. I'll, we got to do more of his stuff. Yeah, I have not had him on the show yet, but but uh, you know, this Top Gun's the definition of a popcorn movie. It it um, like we mentioned earlier. It it what was started with Star Wars and Jaws, like really got cemented here. That this this is the new formula. This is going to work. You know, you've got your predator and die hard movies you know and and all the way through continuing what simpson and Bruckheimer uh did into the 90s with you know the movies you mentioned earlier brand the rock and con air and and um armageddon and the michael bay movies like all of that really stems specifically from top gun i I feel like Um, yeah where you know maybe it's okay to not have that that much depth in your plot. But if the spectacle's good enough, then that's all we need. Um, now, I got a, I got a question for you guys. Without looking, don't cheat. How many of the Top Gun code names can you name?
1: Man, I already failed when I couldn't remember <laughs> Cougar.
2: <laughs> all right, well, let's start. David, do you need, you need a sec to, you need to go over it in your head a little bit? I mean, uh, yeah, I'm trying to, I've got a few. Fire him out. Let's see what you got. It's uh, uh jester. jester. Jester, okay, yep. One. Oh, are we not <laughs> taking turns? Oh no. Uh, you, fire was, you uh, you go, David, and Brent, you'll see if you can add anybody okay. to the list. Okay. There was uh Hollywood. Hollywood, Jester, okay. Uh there was uh
0: uh you know Ice uh Iceman Maverick, mm-hmm. Goose. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh oh. Uh meet Tim Robbins play at the end. Don't look uh, it up.
2: Don't I don't remember. That's about it. Okay. Brenton, you got anybody on top of that?
1: Well, I already said cougar, but I got Viper. Right? Yeah. Is Viper one of them? Mm-hmm. And hangman Viper. hangman. Yep. No. no.
2: Hangman. hangman. No. Not Hangman? No. no what hangman is Hangman in the original? What is Tubbs or what is Barry Tubbs' character. I know name. it, but I, I I can't tell you. Um.
1: I thought it was Hangman.
2: I don't know. That's it. I'm tapped. All right, uh, Wolfman. Wolfman, damn it. Wolfman. Yeah. All right, Wolfman. Uh, did we say Slider? Did anyone say Slider? Nope. Okay, Slider. Sundown. Now you're just making shit up. No, Sundown mm-hmm. is uh, is Clarence Gillyard. Sure. Oh yeah, look at this. And uh Tim Robbins is Merlin. Merlin. And Kelly McGillis is Charlie. Yeah.
1: Okay, that's fine. But oh, so her name is they, Charlotte. And
2: mm-hmm. then there's one other one which uh Adrian Pazdar is Chipper, but that one's that one's real tough to remember. I don't think, I don't even know if they say it. You know, thank God in the movie they've got the names like written on the helmets or you'd yeah. never keep up with it. But uh yeah, so, uh, you know, guys, what do you think? Kurt Russell, who we love very much on this show and have talked about so many times, could Kurt Russell have been in this movie? Could Kurt Russell? Yes, is eighty six, same year as Big Trouble. Yeah. I mean, oh yeah. Yeah, he could have been a hot. He shot. would have fit
1: right. He would have fit right in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's he's a little bit older you know, then these guys. So I don't know if he could be a pilot, but he, he could have been, uh, you know, not old enough to be, to be Tom scarrett not scarrett sc- but maybe Ironside. He could have been Ironside. You know, maybe Ironside, maybe, maybe even James Tolkien's character, you know, the character doesn't have to be like older. Right. But I could definitely see it. You know, uh, uh, maybe Kurt Russell with that backdraft look, you know, the short hair kind of sweaty. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. He
1: would have had to cut that hair though.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that beautiful mane. He couldn't, you couldn't have that in the military, but
0: no.
2: <laughs> so maybe not, maybe not. Um, so overall, uh, what, what's your, uh, your quick thoughts, uh, how, how has it aged for you guys? I mean, I feel like I laid it out there earlier, early on. Like
1: I love it as a kid you know my dad had his pilot's license I grew up around airports we had a lot of pilots in my in my childhood you know a friend, I have friends that are pilots so you know like growing up in Houston in the 80s like it was pretty pro USA and, and military so I was all in man like this this movie the soundtrack the movie like all about it then as i got older kind of you know stepped away for a minute but coming back re-watching it man i loved it i
2: was like wow it brought back a lot of memories yeah yeah you're on board yeah all right david what do what you what do you think your quick thoughts
0: yeah you know it's 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 fun It's 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 fun it's fine i can see how it doesn't there's certain things that don't age well but it's not so cringy uh you know the things that don't work so they have to be a time capsule and uh i don't know it's you know if 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 you enjoyed it if you ever enjoyed the movie you can still enjoy it today um if in if if you've if a modern audience were to see it for the first time i don't know i don't know how i think a lot of it would kind of be permissible and it's like kind of okay and uh Cause there's, there's so much that makes up for like the, the lack of plot and mm-hmm. like some of the cringy elements. So it's still like an innovative kind of movie. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's uh yeah, it's good. It's good. I think,
2: <clears throat> I think it really, de- I mean, the first thing right off the bat that it depends on is your view on, on military and their involvement with it and um whether you're okay with that or not. And for me, it depends, depends what sort of hat I'm wearing. If I want to, you know, if, if, that's going to interfere with my watching of it like is going to be what i'm going to kind of get down on the movie you know but if i am watching it for pure entertainment uh, i can have a really good time with it and uh yeah and of course there's there's certain scenes that are um inappropriate and and are tough to to watch now but it is it's a it's a time capsule and like all movies you can't change that um so you know, for me, it just depends. Depends what hat I have on. Uh, um, I will say, coming back to what we, what I've been teasing this whole time is is Top Gun Maverick. So, you guys ready to talk a little bit about it? And and uh, I'm ready to listen.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: okay. So I I actually saw this about a week ago, and it is in my opinion it's fantastic i think the movie is really really well done it improves on the faults of the original one and yes is is the military involved again yes but it's not as in your face and kind of getting shoved down your throat as it is in the original because there is a an actual plot in this one and some real like character depth that's going on, especially with Maverick and um, uh, you know, more great actors in it. And, and that plot is, is giving you, there's more time devoted to the plot and less to just like how cool's the Navy, you know, and and wouldn't it be awesome to join? Uh, So the scenes, the, the stunt scenes in the airplanes is, astonishing and groundbreaking and, and real, (laughs) you know, they, they in a, in a about 10 notches higher than the original one, you've got these actors doing about eight G's in these real airplanes. They're not piloting, you know, there's a, there's a pilot, but, uh, they're really going that fast and you can tell like what's happening pressure wise to their faces and, and, um, there's six cameras set up in each cockpit so you get different angles but um uh the intensity is real and again it's it's something to really to see on the big screen to get that um experience so i can't and, wait and then from from a character perspective and uh, and I, I i can have a spoiler segment and a non-spoiler the non-spoiler is the you know what they do with maverick's character is just so much more advanced than how they handled his character in the original you know he's really only playing like two notes in the original and here partially because of what happens in the original film and the fallout of that that how he's aged what he's done with himself um, and you see some of it in the trailer but it's it's really really well done i put it right up there with some of the better tom cruise performances Um, and then you've got other, other great actors in there. Um, John Hamm, you know, is great. Ed Harris is in it. Uh, just Miles Teller is fantastic actor, which we've, we've seen over the last like 10 years or so, but this is, um, you know, I'm excited. He's, it's been a while. I I feel like it's been a minute since he's been in anything. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the movie that was supposed to come out two years ago. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was like Whiplash. He's so Only great the in. strong. Yeah, right. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I I can't recommend it enough. I had such a great time, and you get your they're going to give you those nostalgia things that you want in your top ten sequel. So you know there there is a lot of uh, nods to and direct callbacks to the original. There's some shot for shot things. There's some music elements that um you know get you right back in that that mindset and and plot wise to me it made it made a lot of sense it's like where would maverick go you know 30 some odd years down the road where would his character be what would be realistic for that person um you know and then there's uh they tie some things up from the original so it's if you're a fan of the movie absolutely have to go see it if you're an action movie fan you absolutely have to go see it if you can't stand tom cruise i would stay away from the movie (laughs) fair enough yeah so uh you know i'm sure within the next few days the movie's going to be out we'll see how it does i expect big big things from it and uh, i'm sure um, you guys are gonna catch up with it at some point and then we can uh, get into the, all the, the, the details.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm gonna line up for this one.
2: All right, well good. so we'll, we'll, we'll discuss once you guys have all seen it. but um, and you know of course, uh, everybody out there let, let uh, as you see Top Gun Maverick, hit us up on social media. J- you know send us a message on on Instagram, Twitter us there let us know what you thought of of maverick um and uh you can always contact us there about anything for the show fire out your questions your suggestions we'll take we'll take any of those um uh, i do want to say a quick thank you to uh our friends as always ek Wimmer for the the theme music and and curtis moore for the poster and uh don't forget to check out our archives at www.reconsummation.com and guess what This was the season four finale for Reconcinimation. The next episode will be out and it will be the premiere of season five. So we're, we're, we're getting things lined up now, but we're, we're going to have a special episode for you guys and uh, stay tuned. So uh, with that, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to sign off and uh, we'll see you guys next time on Reconcinimation. Take care. Bye now. Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted, you lost your qualifications as section leader three times, put in hacked twice by me, with a history of
0: high-speed passes over five air controlled towers and one Admiral's daughter.